Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Feminist Current Affairs programs, produced by women and gender diverse broadcasters at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin lands and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Senya. On today's show, we hear snippets from Shirley Hood and Leah House, who recently presented on the panel Sovereignty in the Time of the Voice, held in Nam on the 28th of September. Alongside Shirley and Leah, the panel also included Robbie Thorpe and Kieran Stewart Asherton. Shirley and Leah touch on themes of Aboriginal sovereignty, the upcoming referendum, black deaths in custody and the historical fights for land rights and Aboriginal sovereignty from the 60s till now. Let's hear from Shirley and Leah. Sovereignty is the time of the voice. Sovereignty in the time of the voice. Voices, voices. Interesting because I really thought it was going to be a panel of four where we had chairs that spun around. (laughs) I'm I'm quite, I'm quite uh, like, you know, bewildered that we have this. It can be the start you know, I know that our people live through many things, bringing them home, uh, uh, bringing them home, native title, reconciliation, a lot of buzzwords. And I know that with reconciliation in the dictionary, mean two people fighting, no talk of reuniting, but we're not fighting, you know? We just want our land and we want our people looked after and we want happy families. And I think it's really important that we start as a community, start somewhere, and I think this is a great thing. Black sovereign movement, it's uh, really important that we know that's going on in our community. My name's Shirley Hood. I'm Nyungar Kurnai Gunditjmara, right uh, here from WA side, Perth side, south of Perth, and South Gippsland, South East Gippsland and Gunditch, so um, Warrnambool. So great to have you all here today. And we're all from different countries, but united with our spirit. He's another person in our, in our union of spirit here. Hi, everyone. My name's Leah. I'm, I'm a Nambranona Wiradjuri woman. I'm from Canberra. Um, yeah, I work with uh, victims of crime at the Human Rights Commission. And so I work with our mob impacted by crime. Um, and yeah, I, I cross paths with Lydia while she's in Canberra a lot um, because the space that I do work a lot in is within our jails. Um, so that's where we cross over with the deaths in custody stuff. But I also do a lot of work down at the embassy with the working group down there. Um, and then was one of, my name, um, Matilda House was one of the um, people down there back in 1972 when it was established. I think sometimes the women get left out of that dialogue. We all know the men that were there, um, and we talk about the men that um, created it, but we leave out conveniently the women that were also there. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I think, how do I follow that up? I agree, I am here under duress. I, I'm having these conversations under duress. We're being dragged. 
like down this pathway to this referendum, whether we like it or not. And that's just the one thing that really overarches everything that I'm doing and talking about is that I, I've not chosen to be in this position. I've not chosen to participate in this. I've, it's just been forced on us, as has everything else this colony has forced on us for the last 230 plus years. I think the only thing I'm going to add to what Kieran was saying was just that, that argument that our sovereignty will not be ceded through this process. And I think it's really easy for the Yes campaign to say that and to fall short, like leave it there, that our sovereignty won't be ceded because it really falls short, falls short of what it is, they, what sovereignty they're referring to. And if you do bring it back to that Uluru statement, it's a very tokenistic, spiritual idea of sovereignty. And we know that that's not what sovereignty is, but it's very convenient and easy for the government to, and their lawyers, and their constitutional recognition lawyers, all the people that they've got in that camp to say that our sovereignty won't be ceded because at the end of the day, we're not enforcing our sovereignty. And they know that, we know that, we're not enforcing our sovereignty. We don't have the power to enforce our sovereignty. So it's all well and good to say your sovereignty is not ceded through this process because well, what are we doing right now to enforce it? It's not, we don't, we can't. So that, that line that's coming out of that side is just really irritating because it just falls so short of the entirety of that conversation. Um, and I think it doesn't draw, it's not really reflecting on, on an international stage, our sovereignty, because internationally, we look about our role in the international community. I've lost my train of thought, but no, on the international stage, it is, it is going to be perceived on an international level of our sovereignty being ceded, whether we like it or not, because on the international level, we are saying yes to being governed by this colony. And I think there's a very big argument to be made in the international community that that is us ceding our sovereignty. It's not dotting the line, we're not signing anything, but on the international stage, we have said yes and we are allowing ourselves to be governed. And we know we're not, but on the international stage, how is that perceived? And I guess that's my concern. And that, yeah, when I think about it like that. I can't follow it up. That's, I'm leaving it there. Go on. Fantastic, Leah. And, and that's what it's about, hey, just us being able to share our life opinion as we go through live life. I mean, you must do a lot in um, the victims of crime area. Do you see a lot of Aboriginal people going through that system? Well, I think I was going to... There's questions that I was going to respond to that in, but, yeah, obviously, as sovereign people, if... And that's this argument from the Yes camp is your sovereignty is not ceded, you're still sovereign people, that's all well and good, but if Australia genuinely did recognise us as sovereign people, 
if Australia genuinely recognise us as sovereign people, then in what world do they have the authority to be locking up black bodies? That's a war crime. If we are sovereign people and if they respect us and acknowledge us as sovereign people, then why are they locking us up? They don't have any authority over our bodies or our lands, but they don't view us as sovereign people. They have paternalistic views of us. They view us as their property. That's why we get labelled Indigenous Australians. <laughs> We're not Australia's property. We're not Australia's good little Aborigines. We've seen the change. I remember with my parents, who grew up on, like, Nazi camps that were put in place to look after our children, you know? That happened for generations right up to my mum and dad, you know? So think of if your children are taken from you, what language are they learning? What morals are they learning, you know? We have got 20,000 of our children in white care at, as we speak, right? They're the statistics. 20,000 of our children who are taken from their mothers and brought up white with the promise of a, better, of a better life. I know that my dad went through a Nazi camp. You know, we called them missions. We still have connections to those places because that's where we were forming identities, you know? But in 63, it took a lot of power for Aboriginal people to stand up and say, we're not going to be that anymore. We're coming into the society. We're going to be here. And we called to be citizens of this country. There was the referendum in 67. We're finally, you know, well, I don't know. I think they got flora, you know, because our parents were born flora and fauna. Were you born flora and fauna? Yeah, see, Robbie was born Flora and Fauna, and I just made it in, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it, it, it never made a difference. If I was born a citizen, like, I went through schooling and rah, 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 and I worked my guts off to become the best I could be, only to be retold and told again at 15, 16, 17, that you're not gonna, you're not gonna go on to do something you're going to be a failure. Just get into the, you know, get into, like, life. I, I wasn't, we weren't, we're not pushed. And that goes for all of our children. We don't see them working at, as, as uh, checkout chicks, as in, in the fast food industry. They don't get the same rights as other children to budget. We don't get that chance because of our people because of our skin. Everybody has that same sort of weird feeling against us and we don't know what it is. And we're a very, we're a giving people. And if you know us, you come into our family, you will be, you know, family for the rest of our lives. And it's a shame that our spirit in that sense is not being encouraged to thrive. And We've seen that, and we need our children to have a chance. But it can't be done the way that the government has thrust upon us. 
this thing to become a part. And I know myself, I don't trust what they're going to do with that power. I don't trust. And they've tried it before. And I think, I think from our panellists, we've heard that. And this is what we're, this is what we're looking for. We're trying to find a place. And we're telling you again, the only place that we can properly be ourselves is with our own sovereignty. On community radio around Australia, you are listening to Women on the Line. You've been listening to snippets of the panel Sovereignty in the Time of the Voice, which was held in Nam on the 28th of September. The panel featured Shirley Hood as MC and guest speakers Leah House, Kieran Stewart Asherton, and Robbie Thorpe. Let's continue to hear from Shirley and Leah as they chat about black deaths in custody. We're going to go to Black Deaths in Custody now. We're going to throw Leah. You've got a question, Leah. Uh, this, is from, this is from all of the audience. This is from all of you. So it's great to have, yeah, it's great to have your questions. Okay. Black Deaths in Custody is a national crisis and emergency. What's the most effective strategy to get the Commonwealth, state and territory governments to act now? stop deaths in custody. What do you think, Leah? Well, it's deaths in, black deaths in custody are certainly not gonna end post-referendum. Like, and I think a lot of the campaigning is like, and, and, and no doubt good intentioned allies with good intentions, what they perceive to be good intentions have this like wet dream that we're going to live in this post-colonial utopia, post-referendum, and we're going to be united, and we're Aussie, 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 and it's just this amazing, it's so amazing. Um, but nothing's going to end. Like, nothing that we deal with on the ground in our communities that our communities deal with is going to somehow disappear because we have an advisory body as if we don't already have dozens. Um, sorry, I'm like rereading it. So I actually answer this properly. Um, I mean, I guess I'd start with the recommendations from the Royal Commission. Um, I know Lydia does amazing work trying to advocate for those recommendations to be implemented. That's a practical thing that this colony could be doing. That's a practical, those are practical steps. Um, those recommendations have existed for 30 years now? Yep. 30 years? Um, and 500 plus deaths later, and so many of those deaths at the hands of, re if those recommendations were implemented, um, hanging points, um, um, locking people up for public intoxication. There's so many recommendations that where arresting someone is meant to be the last resort, but it's the first thing. The same as in our schools and how our schools and our education system from infancy really demonise, particularly our young black men. Um, where was I going with that? Sorry, guys. I don't speak like these two. Like, this is not good. I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, so they're t 
the way these systems are targeting our mob and they target, I always fall back on our black men because I'm a mother of black sons at the end of the day. I have sons um, and I work with a lot of our mob in custody and if, a lot, if those recommendations, just a fraction of those could be picked up and implemented, that's one thing we could practically be doing. But another thing would be, because we're not in jail, obviously, what, what can we do? We're not in there. We're not at that decision-making level, at the table-making decisions. Neither is that advisory body. It's not going to be at the decision-making table. Um, but it comes from, I mean, we, I could say it comes from the over policing and targeting of black communities and black children, our youth. But it starts for me when I reflect on my work and the work I do in my community, it's sooner than that contact with the justice system. It's that contact with the Australian education system and how the education system here in Australia is weaponized and sets black youth up to fail. That leads us and that, that line, that trajectory of our black kids in out of home care, because we do have, the overrepresentation of black kids in out of home care is insane. And we talk about the stolen generations like it's this thing of the past, but it's actually happening today at far higher rates than it happened during the stolen generation years. But that the, the pipeline from, sorry guys, bear with me, the pipeline from out of home care and how our women are targeted by these systems like CYPS, I don't know what you fellas call it in Victoria, but the child protection um, organisations, and our black women are targeted, our babies are taken, they're out of home, they're out of community, they're out of their culture. There's that disconnect and then this trajectory onto youth detention and then this trajectory into adult detention. And I feel like we were never meant to be here. Like I've, a lot of our mob, like we weren't meant to be here. When I think of what Australia's end game was, we are just an inconvenience in the grand scheme of things because we weren't meant to survive. Ideally, we would have been wiped out. And then when that failed, ideally, we would have assimilated with the, you know, those white Australian policies and the removal of us and trying to well, breathe blackness they out. They didn't do their job. But, so ideally, Australia actually really has done everything to get rid of us, and they haven't. Which is why I think it's so interesting that now we're being asked to sit here and put faith and trust that labour of all, of all parties, Labor is going to save us, and this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But keep in mind, I'm only I'm 30, and I think there has been four opportunities for constitutional recognition pitched, marketed to mob in my lifetime. But this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. <laughs> like, like it's just when you actually understand the history and what's brought us to where we are today. And the fact that this campaign is being marketed, it's once in a lifetime to get it right and unite Australia. <laughs> but like in our lifetime, and Uncle Robbie, I imagine you've been around a lot longer, like this is not a once in a lifetime, this is nonsense. And not once have I ever heard my elders on the streets marching and shouting for constitutional recognition. 
ever. And I'm sure you mob here in Victoria, you mob down here, I know your rallies, you get tens of thousands. You get large numbers here in Melbourne for your rallies, you know, in January and throughout the year too. In Canberra, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. But have you ever, anyone here in Melbourne ever heard these mob, these grassroots mob, these elders, Uncle Robbie, ever get on that mic and ask for constitutional recognition? And that's just fascinating that this is being marketed to us, like we created, we asked for this, because that's what we're being told. We're being told that we asked for this. And I swear, I, may, I could be wrong, but I don't think I've ever been to a rally where we've asked for constitutional recognition or an advisory body. So I've gone off topic, but deaths in custody, there's things like, there's only so much we can do at a Commonwealth level because the jurisdictions fall within states and territories. Um, I think it's gonna begin, we're not gonna fix the problem within the justice system. The justice system's not set up to fix any of these issues, which is leading people into contact with the justice system. And that's not gonna be resolved in the same space. That's profits and has an entire industry in the incarceration of our mob. So we're not gonna solve it through that avenue. We need to get in with all the other spaces and address the homelessness, substance abuse, the overrepresentation of out of home care. There's just so many other things that we should be What's that saying, putting your eggs in a basket or whatever, instead of expecting this problem to be solved within the justice system? I don't think I made any sense. Yeah, no, 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 that's really good. And thank you, Leah, because um, as a young person too, you're finding your way in the world and working through it, and we need to hear everybody's opinion, you know? And yeah, give it up for Leah House, it's great to have and finally, we hear Leah speak on Aboriginal-run government-funded organisations who are endorsing the yes vote and the history that has shaped Aboriginal and government relations today. Our local AMS in Canberra is endorsing the yes vote, but I think you just got to look at the funding behind those corporations and, you know, they are Aboriginal organisations, but they are, at the end of the day, government funding. They, they receive federal funding or local funding. And they're dependent. And they, have, they are dependent and they have to push that agenda. But I was just thinking mm. of this really good footage that Annie Isabel Coe um, did down at the 10 Embassy back in the 90s. If anyone's interested, it's on YouTube. It's, I think you just type in like Aboriginal 10 Embassy interviews. Um, and Annie Isabel Coe spoke really well and she predicted this back in the 90s and talked about how there was a push from you know, from all that movement, land rights movements in the 70s, and how they then arrived to the 90s, and they thought that they were gonna to push to get mob in these positions, in government positions, and get them behind enemy lines. And they, our mob, you know, them elders, those some of the most staunchest mob that fought so hard during the 60s and 70s, arrived to the 90s, and thought that this was gonna be a good thing. We got our mob behind these enemy lines, is what I think she called them, and in these government positions, ALO positions, that exist because of the hard work that was fought for during the 60s and 70s in the land rights movements. But then she reflects on all these mob that got into these government positions and were meant to be representing our communities and how that actually, it completely went downhill and those mob that ended up in those positions 
just took that paycheck and deserted the community and what those roles were set up and established for. And I think that's so powerful because she was talking about that in the 90s and here we are 20 years later dealing with organisations that are manufacturing our consent and claiming to speak for us but really they're not holding community consultations nothing. Even though I believe we are the most consulted people on this planet and the amount of recommendations that exist in a lot of these, like the Royal the Commission to Deaths in Custody, Bring the Home Report, Our Eyes, Our Way, there's so many recommendations that exist because we are so over-consulted. That they call it a consultation? Yeah, but they're just manufacturing our consent. So there's organisations, I think that's actually a really valid question, is what do you do when your local AMSs or legal services are endorsing it? And I understand the conflict for non-Indigenous people to grapple with that, but understand that we're sitting here with no funding, the progressive no has no funding, but we will not shift and we can't be bought and our consent can't be bought. And at the end of the day, that's, that's authentic and what we stand for hasn't shifted since the 60s or 70s really, besides maybe treaty, I think a few of us have different views on treaty now, but really what we've stood for hasn't really shifted. We've been calling on the streets for land rights, for reparations, repertory justice, so, and that's what those bodies, organisations, those black organisations were set up for. And unfortunately, they have lost their way. And that's not for any fault so much for their own, but we are dependent on government funding at the end of the day, because that's the economic system we are forced to live under. And, and just quickly about the embassy, it has been the longest protest in the world. It's actually a protest. It's been going there since 72. And it was formed because, like in Canberra, every country from around the world has an embassy in Canberra they can go to. An embassy is a place that if the Australian government treats you like shit, you can go to your embassy and get, and get heard and have a place to solve your problem and you can question the Australian government. We don't understand why they didn't go to the embassy to even have a yarn or consultation around all of the different countries of Australia, Aboriginal countries of Australia. Why didn't they do consultation? Why didn't they trip out their front door up that hill at Parliament <laughs> and roll exactly. down that hill? Yes. Take five little poxy steps that's and right. Say, embassy, and get all the families, get all the reps. Around our sacred fire. And that's all for Women on the Line today. We heard Shirley Hood and Leah House speak on the panel Sovereignty in the Time of the Voice, which was held in Nam on the 28th of September. The panel also featured guests Robbie Thorpe and Kieran Stewart Asherton. You can watch the full panel talk on Renegade Activist's YouTube channel. The audio was recorded as part of Renegade Activists and 3CR by Mercedes Enka, presenter of 3CR's Uprise Radio. Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Cavara. I'm Senya, and tune in to Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.